Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 111, the love episode. My name is Jessie Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach, a 15-year military wife, and a mother of six. I love working with flowers, playing games, and going to the movies, and I'm a huge fan of my husband and kids, sleeping in, and everything about food. I have created this podcast as a free resource for military wives who want to improve the experience that they are having while their service member is deployed. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Hello everyone. We are nearing the end of February, which is always very exciting in my house because we get a little tired of winter weather by the time we're in like January and February. And even though we still get some snow and cold weather in March and April, We definitely see lots of signs of spring coming, so I'm excited about that. But while we're still in February, which is known as the month of love, or at least that's how I think of it, uh, I wanted to do a love episode here on the podcast, and I want to throw in there really quickly. (laughs) For those of you that think Valentine's Day is dumb or whatever, that's fine, totally available to you. But the way I look at it is I celebrate love all year long but how fun to have a month where we maybe extra focus on it. It's similar to Christmas, right? I think about uh, the birth of Jesus Christ and his life and what all that means to me all year long, but how fun to have a month where we extra focus on it. So that's for those of you who are a little cynical about there about certain holidays or whatever, totally fine, but that's how I think of it, which is why I love to call February the month of love. And this is just the perfect time to do my love episode. I've been wanting to record this episode for a while because I have some thoughts that I really want to share with you all about love and how that goes in the model and how it works in our brains and why love always feels so good and why it's the one of the most fun emotions to intentionally create a lot more of in your life. And I finally am now sitting down to do it. I've, I've assembled all my thoughts and I hope that they come out in a way that is enjoyable and meaningful for you so that you can take some things here and apply them into your life to more enjoy the love that's already there, to increase the love that you create for yourself and and all of those things. So the first thing that I want to talk about is what love is and what love isn't. And this is something that I heard my coach talk about a little bit in a class that she hosted a few weeks ago, Jody Moore. She hosted a class called Loving Hard. Or, or something like that, learning how to love more, like more fiercely, basically. And I think that her class kind of had a double meaning to it, that title of loving hard, because it's like being willing to love more and more openly and trust in that emotion, but also being able to love better, even when it's hard to love someone or something or, you know, a certain set of circumstances. So she started out her class by talking about what love is and what love isn't. And she gave a few analogies of what love is, and this was my favorite one. This analogy is from Dr. Wayne Dyer, where he talks about how we are love, and each of us are like vessels of love, and we're made up of love as human beings. And one way he illustrates that is that it's like when you're looking at the vast ocean, right? It's a really big, kind of incomprehensible thing, kind of like how love is this big, vast concept sometimes. But then if you were to take a bucket to the ocean and scoop up a bucket full of water from the ocean, you could say that what you had was a bucket of water, or you could say, you know, a piece of the ocean, right? You have ocean in your bucket, this big thing, and you just have a piece of it. And so just that concept of we are all love at our core and our essence. We are vessels of love. We carry love. We exude love. We get to feel love. 
we feel it from others, all the things. So, so good. I love that. Um, as far as the model goes, love is a feeling. And so that's where it goes is in the feeling line, right? You can put it in other places in the model, but the main place that we're going to look at it today is when it's in the feeling line, when we get to feel love. And it's important to remember that we feel feelings in our bodies. So love is something that we experience that sensation and that experience with our bodies. Now, a couple of things, we're going to get into a lot more of what love is as we go throughout the episode, but I do want to talk about what a couple of things that love isn't. So Jody, in this part of her class, she said, you know that 80s song? I think it's from the 80s. I don't know. Just like Love Hurts is like the title of the song. And it's about people who just, or it's a, the concept is like um, people have been burned by love or, you know, whatever. So it's a, a fun, <laughs> oh, fun throwback to that kind of song and that kind of place we've all been where we were in love or experiencing love and then for whatever reason it ended or got taken away and then we start to equate love with hurting love hurts but what I want to say is that love doesn't hurt what you're feeling in that moment when you might be thinking yeah love hurts because I loved and now I'm feeling this way because circumstances changed and the the relationship ended or in, in whatever way but what we're feeling that hurts our emotions like disappointment or loneliness or betrayal or grief or loss. And those things hurt. And we just have to decide if we're willing to be open to those feelings because they'll, they'll come either way. Honestly, if we decide I'm not willing to open myself up to love because love inevitably brings pain, we're going to bring other discomforting and uncomfortable and painful emotions on ourselves. Like maybe loneliness and be feeling disconnected or unfulfilled, right? So either way, you're opening up to um, potential negative emotions that come with having big, awesome, full relationships or the lack of those things. But when you choose to be open to love, even though it can come with like resulting other painful emotions, you get to feel the love, which is always worth it, in my opinion. Another thing that love isn't is love isn't weak. Jodi did such a good job in her class of explaining that love is powerful and courageous and brave. Love considers everyone involved. And sometimes we can think that being love is puts us in a position of weakness or vulnerability that can be a bad thing, but love is actually just so big and awesome and brave and bold and exciting and it's just it's a very opposite of weak experience. The last thing I want to touch on here before we move on is that another place people get a little tripped up in this department of kind of what love isn't is when they use the excuse of love to accept poor treatment in a relationship because either they're saying the other person loves me so they get to do this or the other person is saying I do this but I love you. Uh, you might it might look like people pleasing and we say like this is just how I show people I love them and I want you guys to examine some of those less functional behaviors or interactions in relationships and just check in with yourself is this is this an unhealthy pattern or interaction in this relationship and I'm just using love to justify it to valid or to allow it to be here to give myself reason to just continue to accept it or continue to do it like with people pleasing <clears throat> And if it is, you can start to uh, dial those things back because what that is, is that's, it's a false sense of love, right? And it's also just taking loving concepts and sort of like warping them or overdoing them into something that isn't love anymore. And like I said earlier about love considers everyone involved. That's another way you can kind of check in with yourself to see if you're doing some of those counterfeit love behaviors or unhealthy behaviors 
or either you're doing it or accepting it in the relationship, is you can say, does this show love to like everyone in the equation? So sometimes it might feel like a loving thing to the other person, but it doesn't feel like love to you, but you're trying to just accept it because they've said it's like love for them, right? So the main one that comes to my mind, there's a lot of really, really challenging things that can go on in a relationship in the name of love. Uh, But the main one that I think affects so many of us is that people-pleasing that I've mentioned. And so I want you to show yourself that when you are in that people-pleasing place, when you're doing that in a relationship, that it's not it's not good for you or the other person and it's not really showing love to either of you even though it kind of feels like it is and it's easy to kind of trick yourself into thinking it is so just watch for that to be uh, people pleasing is kind of politeness overdone or self-sacrifice overdone or like being flexible and that's overdone or being low maintenance and that's overdone kind of a combination of all those things is what can lead to people pleasing so we just want to walk all that back where we say like i'm flexible but I I show love to everyone in the equation. I self-sacrifice, but I show love to everyone in the equation. Like I don't uh, lose myself in that that equation. I still need to keep showing love to myself there. I'm polite, but I show love to everyone in the equation, you know, so then that'll help you not overdo it in those scenarios. Okay, the next thing I wanted to talk about is unconditional love and lovability. So this concept of unconditional love, I've worked with this on with my clients before, and some people are down for it and love it. And some people, it feels very threatening to them, that concept of unconditional love. I think unconditional love can be, again, not not overdone, but almost like misused is maybe a better word. And so people might have had a bad experience with what they thought was unconditional love or what was taught to them as what unconditional love was. So I just want to go into that for a little bit and then give you even a new way to think about that. So unconditional love is where we decide to love someone no matter what they do is kind of that basic outline of it. And you can see how easily that could get misused and how easily that could be overdone into something that was unhealthy. And so what we have to do is really figure out what that means for ourselves to say, I want to love this person no matter what they do. But if they do certain things that I'm not okay with, here's how I'll love me and take care of me. It's not about accepting and condoning and being exposed to any behavior that this person wants to do because you love them. But it's about like, even if they do this terrible thing, I'm going to love them and, and take care of me. That's where, that's where that little caveat comes in for me for unconditional love. Another thing that comes up for me in this concept is that when we have this very intentional definition of unconditional love and we choose to bring it into our lives, It's pretty easy to think about it in our close relationships, like maybe with our spouse or our children. And I've talked about this before, but one thing that helps me in that department is I've decided who I want to be in those relationships and how I want to show love. And I make sure that it's never, I'm going to give them this love in order to get something back, get certain love back. Like I, I know I've used this example before on the podcast of, I have a couple of my children who at times have not wanted to say like, I love you back to me. Like this is a very basic, straightforward example. But basically, I want to be a mom who says I love you to my kids, whether they say it back to me or not. That's an important thing to me to say it. And hopefully for them to know it, I can't guarantee they'll know it. Even if I say it, they might not believe me or whatever. But my side of that equation is I want to feel love for them. And I want to tell them of the love that I feel for them. And then whether or not they feel it, believe me, say it back to me. That's all in their court. And I'm okay with any level of anything that they offer back to me. Or again, whether or not they believe me or, or agree or feel it or anything. And 
that really feeds into the way I like to experience unconditional love is I just decide who I want to be in that relationship. Like I said, it's easy to think about it with our closer relationships of how you would unconditionally love someone. But another kind of interesting degree to take it to is this concept of like loving everyone, right? Like all the humans, everyone you interact with, the human race, all Americans, all, you know, whatever category you want to look at. I love all women. I love all men. I love all children. I love, you know, you can categorize any way you want, or you can just say, I love everyone. And one way I, one little mantra I have in my head is, especially when I'm having a little bit of trouble loving someone, as I say to myself, I love all the humans. And it reminds me that we're in this together, that we're human in the human race together, that we all have human brains, that this thing they're doing right now, whatever it is that's making me feel an urge to judge them or feel an urge to not love them or whatever it is, right? It helps me really find some unity with them in a place of common ground, even if it's just in an instant, because I might never see them again. Maybe it's somebody in traffic or the person who was my cashier at the store. And I just think I love all the humans. And it just gives me so much space to allow whatever they're (laughs) needing to do. And not that I have to like sit there and subject myself to it if it's inappropriate behavior, but I can just give them a little space and grace and just move on and not need to judge them or think I know what's wrong with them. And, And what's so awesome about this concept as you practice it, I love all the humans, is the main reason we do it is so that you get to feel more love, so that I get to feel more love. It's not really for that person that I'm practicing not judging, not loving. It's so that I get to feel love all the time or as much of the time as possible. And I know when I don't feel love for someone, it's okay. It just means I chose that as well. And that leads me right into the next concept that I want to touch on of lovability. But before I go there, I just want to say one more thing about unconditional love. This is another point that Jody made in her class that I loved so much. And it was about a new way to think about that word unconditional. And it really works so well with the model where you say there are no outside conditions that create the feeling of love in me for myself or for someone else. And same for them. It's the outside conditions are your circumstance line, right? The feeling of love always comes from what you decide to think about yourself or about another person or about a thing. The feelings of love for something or someone or for yourself never come from outside conditions. They come from your thoughts. They come from you. You create it every time or you choose not to create it whenever that happens to and both are okay, but own your part where you're the creator. And that's another way to think about that word, unconditional love. The love doesn't come from external conditions. It comes from us, unconditional love. Okay, let's touch on lovability for a minute. Lovability is a really cool concept to think about. It's basically, at times we don't feel like we're deserving of other people's love. At times we don't feel like other people are deserving of our love. At times, you know, maybe we've made a mistake or we're feeling shame or self-loathing or something, or we're really angry with someone else. Like it can go either way, right? With, with believing in our own lovability or believing in the lovability of others. But I want to offer you that it will serve you so well to believe that everyone, including you, is 100% lovable at all times. It doesn't mean that you'll always give them 100% love and that's okay. Just like we talked about with with the unconditional love. It's okay to choose not to feel love for others or yourself, but to just really bring these points home for you that everyone is 100% lovable at all times, even if you don't feel that love for them at all times, or you don't feel that love for yourself at all times, because then you can always remember 
that love is always available. And that's a very empowering place to come from. Love is always available. You can always create more love in your life. You can always feel love for someone. And at times you won't choose it. And that's fine because it comes from our thoughts. And because everyone is 100% lovable at all times, love is always available. Okay. As we talk about all of these sort of degrees of love or concepts within this bigger concept of love, I want you to keep this in mind that we've already touched on it, but the fact that we're going to work hard to create more love and to feel more love primarily for our own benefit. That's the thing that gets switched in our head pretty easily. And our lower brain's the one who does it. They play that switch on us. The lower brain says, why am I working so hard to love this person when they're treating me this way, when they do this certain thing, when they aren't showing me love back? And I want you to be on to yourself when your lower brain throws a little fit like that. Why am I working so hard for this other person? And I want you to reassure yourself and your lower brain that all of this hard work is worth it. And it's primarily for you, for your benefit. You're working so hard for you so that you can be less miserable, so that you can feel judgmental less often or angry less often or angry less often. We want to feel more love because love always feels good. Love always feels good. The other people in the equation that you're working to feel more love for will benefit from you showing up in a more loving way, but it's always the secondary benefit. The primary beneficiary is you. And that's that's a really critical thing to keep in mind as you do this work. Another thing I want to touch on here that we've mentioned already, but I want to make sure I drive this point home is that love can look different in different scenarios. And you might ask yourself that question, like, what would love look like in this scenario? So this is kind of like what we talked about at the beginning, where we can warp or overdo things that would initially have been loving, but then they kind of get uh, warped is the word that's coming to my mind. I don't know if that's the best word, but they kind of get that counterfeit version of it, like with people pleasing or with allowing people to mistreat you in the name of love or whatever. But I want you to ask yourself this question of what would love look like in this situation? And so you might say, love in this situation looks like leaving the relationship. Love in this situation looks like saying yes. Love in this situation looks like saying no, right? Like, I don't know what all your situations are that you're in, but love doesn't always look like saying yes. Sometimes it looks like saying no. Love doesn't always look like staying. Sometimes love looks like leaving. So that's a really interesting thing to say. Like, love doesn't always look one certain way. Every scenario, love will look different once you ask yourself that question and open yourself up to that evaluation and that variety of ways to express and demonstrate and live and show up from love in that scenario. Okay, the next thing that I want to talk about, I'm really excited to talk about because I I get this question pretty frequently and I don't know, I just always get so excited to talk about it. So I had a client recently ask me, what do you think about the five love languages book? And I thought, oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because I have a lot to say in this area. I love the five love languages book and I highly recommend them with a personal tweak that I want you to keep in mind as you research and read and start to implement that tool into your life. So for me, the five love languages is such a great start and has set you up with a ton of really good information and knowledge about yourself and your partner. And I'll go over quickly what the five love languages is in just a second. But I just want to say that when we don't use the tweak I'm going to offer you, because we have a lower brain, it can be really easy to disempower ourselves or get really stuck in the information that the five love languages offers us. Such, such good information. And so when you 
consume it and apply it with this tweak that I'm going to offer you. I feel like it just takes it to the next level and really helps us not get into that stuck place that we can so easily get because we're all human. So quick summary is that the five love languages is a book. And one thing that's so cool about it is Gary Chapman is the author. He's made several different versions of it. There's a military edition that I highly recommend for my male spouses out there. And there's also like a version for, there's just like the most basic version that could kind of apply to anybody. There's a version for your kids, how to learn like your kids love languages, right? So it's really, really a very well thought out, well-researched, powerful tool. And basically it teaches you the main five ways that people give and receive love. I'm going to list them here, but I hope I get them all. I didn't actually write this part down. There's words of affirmation. There's acts of service. There's quality time. There's gifts like giving gifts, and there's physical touch. And as you learn about these five different types of ways to give and receive love, you start to learn which ones that you identify with a little bit more. And typically we all have a primary love language and then maybe one or two secondary love languages. Yeah, that's one place to be careful of is that you're not just going to have one way. Typically you're not just going to have one way that you give and receive love or that you want to receive love. Uh, that you ha- often have multiple ways, but it's just very valuable to learn like my my number one way, or sometimes you have like two ways that kind of tie for the top for you. So just be open to that. And there's a quiz in the book, and there's a, I'm sure the quiz is online that you could take to try to figure out what your love language is. And then once you know that and you can learn your, you can ask your partner to take the quiz, you can ask your kids to take the quiz, and you start to learn the people in your life ar- around you, their love language then the idea is that now you are better set to show the people in your life who are important to you and you want them to feel your love, love in the way they receive it. And I remember when I first started learning about this book, my cousin shared with me that her number one love language was words of affirmation. And her mom, who is just a very like physical touch person, always wanted to hug her. It would drive her crazy. She didn't want that physical affection from her mom, where most kids love that. I'm not saying this is a common thing. And because of that, they both would just strike out a little bit. My cousin wouldn't get a lot of words of affirmation from her mother and her mother feeling that, you know, like, I don't think she knows how much I love her. So I'm just going to try to hug her again, you know, and my cousin was like, oh, I don't want your hugs, you know, but they didn't know how to talk about it. And they didn't know why the ways they were trying weren't working. This is why this can be so, so, so valuable to understand. So one other thing to know before I move on to my tweak is that you learn in the book when you read it that... A common problem can be, like I just gave in that example with my aunt and my cousin, is that we tend to give love in the way that we wish we could receive it, that we want to receive it the most. Our primary love language is how is the type of love that can come the most naturally and easily to us. And because we're wanting it, we're just giving it out everywhere. And that's another way we kind of strike out a little bit and cross paths is that we might just be dishing out all this love in the way that we're good at giving love and the other person it's just that's not their way to feel it and it means very little to them and that can cause a lot of frustration and resentment and disconnection if we let it so this is where like knowledge is power it's so good to know what our love language is what our spouse's love language is and that possibly the reason that our efforts and attempts have not been well received is that we're just trying to love them in the way we want to be loved and not so much in the way that they easily receive it and feel it. Okay, so now that you understand the basics of the five love languages, now I want to offer you my tweak. 
as you guys know, the cupcake concept is one of my all-time favorite coaching concepts, and I'm going to bring it in in this moment. So I want you to know that it is so, so valuable to know your own love languages and, or your own love language or languages and your partner's. And I want you to know that the primary reason that it's valuable is so that you can love yourself better. This is the thing that I think takes what we learn in the five love languages to the next level. We learn our love language and then we are tempted to say, okay, husband, here's my love language. Now make me feel loved. And then we're over there in a place of lack and need. And he's over there saying, oh man, I'm not even good at acts of service or whatever, like whatever your love language is or words of affirmation or... And then we're just waiting for him to take care of us and make us feel loved. And we miss the part where primarily we can start loving ourselves better. And what's so great is knowing our love language, we can then easily see that that's actually the one we're the best at. We just didn't realize that we were the best at it, at the one we want, and that we're giving it all outward. You can keep giving it outward. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to make sure you're turning a ton of it inward, or at least like, also doing a ton of that love language inward toward yourself. This can be a little challenging at times and you may have a desire to argue with me on this or come up with the ways that this will be difficult. A lot of people will say, physical touch, what am I supposed to do? Just hug myself? (laughs) And you have to get a little creative in some of these areas when you're trying to think, okay, now that I know this is my love language, I know that my primary, this this resource is primarily to know it for me, to love me better. And that's the cupcake. And then the secondary awesome benefit of knowing this is to then go to your partner or, you know, with your request to say, here's how I love to be loved. And it would mean so much to me if you made some efforts to love me a little bit more in this way. And it's coming from a place of a request, not a need, just a, this would be awesome. Can you try? And it's all frosting. And anything they give you, we know this. If you've decided to believe in the cupcake concept, like I hope you have, (laughs) we know that anything they can give us is frosting. And when we go to them and say, here's how I need to be loved, so start doing that, that that's asking for them at the cupcake level, which they'll never be able to fix that for you. So that's the main tweak that I want you to read and consume and apply this incredible resource to your life with is the cupcake concept of knowing now that I know my love language, I'm going to love me better, more effectively, more intentionally, and I'm going to just really solidify my love cupcake. I'm going to feel so loved starting by loving myself. Then I'm going to go to the people in my life and say, it means so much to me when you use words of affirmation to tell me what you think about me. And if you think that I do a good job and that I'm pretty and like that, I love all that so much. I love that frosting. Let's, let's do more of that. That'd be so fun. I would love that. And it keeps it at that frosting level and it totally empowers you to just create the most amazing relationships because we never need frosting. Frosting is just awesome and fun and delicious and bonus, but we can go with no frosting or a little bit of frosting or tons of frosting and all those ways are okay. But if we're waiting around for our partner who may or may not be available to us at the time, he may be deployed, out of communication, he may be struggling with his own mental health, you guys might be fighting, you might be, you know, all kinds of things that can happen. And so if our partner is unavailable to us for whatever reason, and yet we need him to feel loved, we are stuck and we are disempowered. And that just brings in frustration and resentment in a relationship. But when we know we're always the primary source of feeling loved and whatever we get from our spouse is an amazing secondary source of feeling loved, then we'll keep that power, that empowerment in that area 
and we'll take care of our own cupcake. And even at times we won't take care of our own cupcake, but we won't think it's because our husband didn't take care of it or our kids didn't take care of it or our coworkers didn't take care of it. We'll know I'm just not taking very good care of my cupcake right now and that's on me and that's okay. I get really excited talking about this. I hope that makes sense to you. I would love to hear from you if you have any questions or concerns on that concept. I highly recommend you go read the Five Love Languages book and just apply this tweak as you read it. I have two more thoughts to offer you in this area and then a few final thoughts on love and then we'll wrap up this episode. So another thing that I want you to think about as you're reading the Five Love Languages is as you solidify your love cupcake, you actually get better at receiving frosting because When we aren't taking good care of our cupcake, when we're not feeling love because we haven't taken care of it, and other people offer us love, which they will because it feels good to them, right? Our frosting just kind of drips all over our crumpled or cracked or whatever cupcake that we aren't taking care of, and there's no solid place for it to just sit on top like a beautifully piped cupcake. Now, I don't want you to use this against yourself. I want you to use it as a motivator for why working on this is so worth your time. Because if you love frosting like I love frosting, I want to be in such an awesome position to receive frosting whenever it comes my way. And the way that I do that is solidifying my cupcake. Because when my cupcake is sitting there as solid as it can be, sometimes it's perfectly solid. Sometimes it's got a little side coming off and that's okay. It's ready for any all kinds of awesome delicious frosting on top and so that's I want you to use that to motivate yourself to work on this and that leads me to my last thought in this area of another very cool opportunity that comes from reading the five love languages book and learning your partner's love language not only so that you can give them frosting in a way that you know is awesome and pleasing to them and easy for them to receive but it's also so that you now know the way that they give love the most easily and most naturally because they're just going to keep doing that. We we can't help but continue to give love in the way that we want to receive it because, again, it comes the, the most easily for us. And when you know that, you can train yourself and practice yourself to learn to feel love when they give that type of love. You can still have your primary one that you prefer and your secondary one that you prefer, but like, If you're like me, I love frosting. So I want to also know that when my husband does acts of service where mine is words of affirmation, sure, I I like that he does that act of service. It's not that I'm like, ooh, don't do that. But I want to know in my head, I have a thought ready to go where when I see him do the thing, I say, oh, this is him showing me so much love in the way that he best knows how to love. And then I get more frosting. It is such a cool concept. I just want there to be so much potential for frosting. And that's one other little area you can take it that I know you'll love. Okay. I want to talk about for a minute, the concept of capacity to love. So I like to think about the concept of capacity. We think about our mental capacity, our our capacity to love. There's lots of ways we can think about that word, which is basically like our ability or our, our container, maybe like that, how big our container is to have that resource there like how big is your mental capacity might be like when do you hit your limit when are you when are you all spent mentally when are you all spent physically when are you all spent love wise right so that's that's what I'm talking about here how big is your love container and we understand in that or most of us believe and understand in that kind of thinking about love abstractly and in that big concept that love is everywhere and love is infinite and but when we try to apply it right down into our lives of 
can I love everyone? Do I have enough capacity to really attempt to feel love for everyone I come in contact with? Um, do I have the ability to love unconditionally? Do I have the capacity to love uh, fiercely and deeply and unguardedly, right? Like there's just a lot that, that can go into that. So I want you to think about your capacity and I want to share a story with you. One thing that's cool about love, I'm, I'm going to say this thing and then get into the story, is that it does cover so many types of love, right? Romantic love and family love and friend love and stranger love and, and all the things, loving objects. Like I love my car, right? <laughs> love covers so many different things. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that your love and your ability to love and your capacity for love is a growing thing. It's a maturing thing throughout your life. So when you're little, love is simple and you just trust the people in your life and you just love them and you have no reason to think any differently unless, you know, right? As, as you get older and start to have more experiences and maybe friends that hurt you or boyfriends that break up with you, that's when you start to really um, learn and grow that relationship with love and, and you can get jaded or you can use those opportunities to learn and grow from and increase your capacity. But I want you to get make space for the way that it is a evolving, growing, maturing thing. Your ability to love and your capacity to love and, and all of that, your relationship with love, basically. So the story that I want to share with you is when I was pregnant with my first child, Jane, and I was, I think, 21 years old. So I got married when I was 20. We'd been married for about a year and a half when we had our first baby. And so I still kind of felt like a newlywed. And the the deal my husband and I made was uh, that we would maybe, like we'd start trying to have kids for sure when we knew I could be graduated from college. And you never know how long it's going to take you to get pregnant. And we both know we wanted a big family and we thought, we thought it would kind of take us a little while, but we got pregnant on the first month we tried because that was amazing and we're, we feel so lucky and blessed. And because as a result of that, I was nine months pregnant at my graduation, but that's another story. <laughs> anyway, the interesting journey that I went on with my capacity to love in this experience of being pregnant with my first child was that I was still learning how to be married and love my spouse and love myself and balance all of that and just be so open and unconditional and sometimes you can let love consume you if you're not if you're not kind of running the show and you're just like I was I had a lot of love growing in these couple of years here I was learning learning how to be married learning how to be all of that and then I got pregnant and I was learning how to love my baby and and balance all of that love. And you don't even have to think about it all that way, but you'll just find at times that you it's okay to not really know how to handle all that. It's okay not to necessarily know how to do all of that and to let yourself grow into it. So I remember one day I was probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight months pregnant, getting pretty close. And my husband texted me or something from work or school and said, oh, I've just been thinking about you all day. I miss you. I love you. How's the baby? You know, just kind of a cute check-in text that I love getting from him because again, I'm words of affirmation. And my first thought really surprised me because I thought, oh, I haven't thought about him all day. <laughs> and that made me so sad. But I realized that as I grew into this area of love and that I was still really brand new at it, that I was all, all of my love at that time or in that day, it wasn't like at that time, but just in that day had gone to thinking and loving on my baby because I was obsessed with thinking about her and loving her. And I was so excited to be a mom. And I'm, 
everyone handles pregnancy differently, but I am definitely one that feels very connected to my baby before they're even born. I always pick their name with my husband really early on. I just feel like I know them before they're even born. And so I, without realizing it, had just been obsessing and thinking and loving on my baby and technically hadn't thought about my husband very much that day. I'm sure I had literally thought about him. And at first it made me so sad because I thought, oh no, like, can I even love a baby and a husband? (laughs) And I was definitely thinking about love very finitely at that time, possibly. And again, I was just new to this whole thing and still growing and learning from it. And I was quickly able to see that my heart will always just be full to the max of love for the people in my life. And over the years, and now I have seven kids and all the things I, I have so much evidence for my, my love will never be limited. My heart will always like just make room to contain whatever love I decide to introduce into it. And all I have to do is, you know, open up to it and be a little bit intentional about it and be aware and believe in my ability to love all people at the amount I want to love them. And so that's been a really interesting thing is I quickly was able to believe in that concept of my heart is big enough to love my husband and love my baby. And then I immediately was just there. Once I knew I could do it and decided I could do it, I was able to think about and love on my baby and my husband all day, every day without having that little experience I had before. And it's not even that I wasn't doing that before. I just didn't realize Anyway, it was just a very interesting, very interesting moment for me where I suddenly had this panic of like, is there only a certain amount of love that can fit in my heart and my baby just took it all? (laughs) Oh, anyway, so uh, it's just been a very cool concept to, to analyze what my capacity for love is and decide that it's infinite, decide that I can, my capacity can hold all the love, all the love. It feels so good. I love that. So I encourage you to analyze that a little bit for yourself and decide Decide what you want your capacity to be for love. Okay, my final couple of thoughts to leave you with here is there is a scripture that I love that talks about loving your enemies. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And I used to think that we were asked to do that so that we could just be more like God, more Christ-like by just loving people, whether they were good or bad. Good people love even the bad people, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And I still think that there's a big element of that. But as my relationship with love has grown and as this concept of the primary reason that I choose to show up in a loving way in all my relationships as much as possible is for my own benefit and so that I get to feel love as much as possible. And I think that that's a huge reason that we are asked to love even our enemies is because God wants us to primarily feel love. He knows what an amazing experience is for us. And he knows that it's showing up as our best self and that we'll always benefit from it. And he says, it's easy to love people that are easy to love. And I want you to also love people that are hard to love. And I think that that is really expanding again, that capacity for love and that relationship with love. And it just takes it to the next level when we open up to those kinds of concepts. So love when it's easy to love and love when it's hard to love. And you will be the huge beneficiary of both of those experiences. Okay, that is what I have for you today. And I hope that you enjoyed it. Go out and feel more love. I know you will love it. Are you ready to take what you are learning here on this podcast to the next level? Then let's work together. 
I would be honored to be your life coach and help you create the life you dream about by focusing on what is always in your control, your mindset. Are you ready for everything in your life to feel different and better without needing to change any of your circumstances? Then schedule a free call with me by going to my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.